This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anok, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Just Keep Swimming is not only the name of Andres Ryan's fish farm, it is also his creed. Andres is an aquarium fish farmer in Florida who has bred and raised literally hundreds of species, but now concentrates on the more delicate and difficult to spawn aquarium fish, including clown loaches, cardinal tetras, galaxy rasboras, fancy picos, and freshwater ornamental shrimp. Join us as Andres and I discuss fancy fish, the challenges of commercially raising new species, and the future of the hobby. We'll be right back after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Andres Ryan, owner of Just Keep Swimming in Florida. Hey, Andres, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I know you've been here a while. We're going to kind of talk a little bit about some of the things that happened during your early days. When did you get your first fish in aquarium and, and what was the uh, setup like? <laughs> the first setup, uh, I was probably seven or eight years old. Uh, this regular, regular fish tank, the old style with the metal frame, slate bottom, plastic box filter, floss, you know, and uh, charcoal. First fish, goldfish, <laughs> and then uh, then I graduated pretty quickly into the convicts, you know, cichlids. I know over time you said when you were growing up you ended up having a lot of aquariums. How many did you have at any one time when you were um, at your kind of max? Uh, before ten, before I was ten, I probably had a dozen in the room, and maybe a few more downstairs in the in the garage. And uh, I collected a lot of fish out in the canals around my house in Canada. And then uh, a lot of fishing and, you know, everything from salamanders to mostly fish. Uh, most of the fish I collected were mostly uh, minnows, but also I did a lot of with uh, what I call stickleback, you know. So I had a lot of those, breeding those pretty quickly. They made little nests and then uh, parents take care of their babies and stuff. So I did, those were the ones I would uh, play with uh, out of the canals. So what were some of the influences early on that made you interested in the aquariums? Well, I think the first one was being outside and then uh, didn't do a lot of TV. So we've just been outside a lot and I always like nature. And then the, the second one would basically, I say, I, I watched the TV that I watched a lot was uh, Jacques Cousteau. So I used to watch a lot of that as a kid. 
And so it was like the ocean stuff and everything that had to do with the sea and being outdoors. So those were my influence <laughs> to start. Yeah, I, I actually uh, shared in that. I definitely watched a lot of Jacques, Jacques Cousteau. He was uh, one of my heroes. What made you decide to enter the aquarium field as a um, profession? I never really was looking to get into the aquarium field. I was more into aquaculture, trying to raise fish for food. And then when I came to Florida, I got into the bivalves. That's when I do my master's. And then I got back into the fish. And then when I was uh, collecting tropical fish, I found out uh, that there's a lot of farmers in Florida raising tropical fish. And so I got into those. And then that's when I really started getting interested in the whole industry. I never really knew you could raise most of these fish in ponds in high volumes. <laughs> that's how I started. You mentioned, we were talking a while back, that you had worked with a lot of fish farmers on their farms during your master's. How did that happen? But basically, that's what it was. Is I was uh, you know, when you're doing your master's, you're always looking for side jobs, trying to come up with the pay the bills. And uh, I started having some free time on the weekends. And then I worked on, uh, started visiting those fish farms down in uh, central Florida. And then uh, they asked them if they needed help, and they definitely did. And so I started getting into it. And I'd spend hours out there, everything from counting fish to packing to just doing everything that had to do with, with the raising a fish farm. That was a lot of interest because I, I saw so many different varieties of fish that people were trying. And then it was a very simple way. It was pretty much buying different groups of fish and uh, set them up in the ponds and just let them go and hope, uh, hope you hit on them. And a lot of time, depending on your water, depending on the environment or whatever, the setup, uh, grassy ponds, sandy pond, rocky ponds, uh, certain fish would do well. And then it was just a matter of trial and error. And uh, that was kind of curious. It was like a big hobby for, you know, for me. <laughs> it was just uh, so many different fish that, I, you know, I used to see in the stores in Canada, but in such massive quantities, it was kind of like uh, pretty phenomenal. You finished your master's and I know, uh, I believe you didn't go straight into fish farming. What did you end up doing right after? Well, I just couldn't see myself raising tropical fish and making a living out of a, a garage or basically a, a studio apartment. So I wanted to get back into the fish. And so I did the uh, work for the DEP, working in fisheries and worked on that for a while. I thought maybe I could, uh, you know, keep the hobby going, but uh, do stay in the fish, be outside and all that. But I couldn't see an opportunity to go any further. You know, it was mostly either research, spending a lot of time in the labs and uh, since I didn't do a PhD, uh, getting a job as a teacher was probably was definitely not in the works. And so um, over time, uh, I started realizing that, you know, I could definitely make some money with the fish, but I had to pick some rare fish because I couldn't do common stuff the farmers were doing. So I'd have to do oddball stuff and I'd sell it through them. So that's how I started making some money. And then uh, grew from there, you know, one tank, two tanks, three tank. I got a, a studio apartment, had like 40 tanks in the studio apartment. And then I, then I saved some money a bit and got, some, uh, got myself a house. And, then, uh, and instead of uh, staying in Felsmere or Melbourne, I decided to move to uh, the Tampa region. And I went to Sarasota because it was a nice place. And uh, so it was closer for my deliveries because I sell to all the Seagrass and 5Ds. I would sell to all the big wholesalers locally. So instead of driving across the state, it was closer for me to uh, move closer. That's what came about moving on this side of the coast. Okay. So now can you describe your, I guess, your current facility and business? Maybe let folks know roughly you know, kind of a general layout of your place. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, I have a very small place. I don't have any ponds. I have a greenhouse, a couple of thousand square feet greenhouse and about a 4,000 square foot building. I have exactly 12 research system total. 
three in the greenhouse and um, nine in the in the building. And then uh, it's pretty much all fresh water, uh, no salt water. I do mostly soft water fish right now. So and then some hard water fish, but mostly soft water. So uh, such as uh, clown loaches and cardinals and uh, and some tropical f- uh, shrimp. The systems are pretty simple. You know, they are adaptable to different fish. They were set up originally for cichlids, but now I just transformed them to do uh, more volume fish, more specific items. You have raised a lot of different species, and you kind of gave a reason for concentrating on some of these more difficult species. Can you kind of let folks know what some of the species are that you have raised over the years? And I know you were real involved with cichlids for a while. How did that transition occur, too? Well, I was doing a lot of Africans, and then I got into the, the Malawis were mostly done on the farms level. And then, uh, then I got into the Tanganyikans because those were done in tanks, and the farmers couldn't really do them. So those are the fish that made me uh, transition into the, the business, the industry. When I moved to the uh, Sarasota, I uh, got into uh, Don Conkle. So I started producing more Central Americans, more rare fish nobody was doing. And... Uh, that's how I got into other cichlids and stuff. For some reason, the market, and about 10 years ago, the market decided to drop. A lot of it had to do with shipping. The availability of big fish was not a popular thing anymore. It's still popular, but not in terms of volume. I think uh, people are getting into smaller tanks. So I decided to go towards smaller fish uh, because my facility was smaller. I couldn't raise anything in large size because uh, no ponds. And so uh, I started doing uh, more Tanganyikans, but get into more Tetras, oddball Tetras. Again, I couldn't do the Tetras the farmers were doing, so I would do more Tetras that like uh, farmers couldn't do inside, you know, like carry Tetras, and I do a lot of uh, SBI Tetras, and then I did pencil fish, just something on the side to complement what farmers and producers were doing. So I wouldn't say more rare, but a little more less available. And that's how I got into all these other fish. And, and now I'm doing more uh, clown loaches and cardinals and galaxy rasboras and a lot of synodonas still. I do a lot of catfish. I do a, a pandageros right now is a more popular one. And this year I've really got into the tropical ornamental shrimp because there's a big demand. Again, it's a small animal. It doesn't require a lot of space and it does real well in small tanks and it's got different varieties of colors. So it's a popular item. Before we talk a little bit more about the fish you're working on now, um, if you had unlimited resources and could do whatever you wanted, what would you say are your favorite fish that you really have enjoyed working with over the past 20 years? If, you know, which fish would you really want to do if you just did it for fun? For fun, it would be there's two groups. There would be the Tanganyikan group, mostly the small uh, rock dwellers, everything from shell dwellers to julies to some of the lamprologus. And then the other group would be, uh, again, Smaller fish, but the uh, the neotropical and Central American uh, small like rams and uh, small riverine cichlids. Those are the ones I'm interested. The reason why is because uh, they uh, they have very interesting personality. They're not so aggressive. They do well in small tank and in big tanks. So those are the those are the fish I'd be really interested in playing with. And possibly in the future, I would love to do saltwater fish also, but uh, that's way far ahead. <laughs> not there yet. So let's kind of talk about one of the fish that you mentioned, the pandageras. Now, some folks are familiar with those. Uh, can you describe them a little bit and then tell us where they come from originally and what sort of habitat and water quality they usually come from? Well, pandagera is a Indonesian or India, mostly North India. It's a little river fish that uh, it's like a sucker fish, uh, very active. 
Loves a wide range of water. Doesn't like acidic water, though, but likes the water around 7, pH of 7, medium conductivity. Temperature can tolerate a wide range all the way down to 65 degrees to all the way up to 90. One of the things that I like about the fish is it's a very active, playful fish. Doesn't hide under a rock. Uh, likes to be in groups because they like puppy dogs. They like to s- lay on top of each other and play all day. Uh, it's a good cleaner fish, and uh, it's definitely a great community fish. And it's the main reason why I got into it, uh, trying to do it as a, a new fish, because I saw the potential for uh, all tanks, small tanks, big tanks, uh, you know, cichlid tanks, or even peaceful tetra tanks. What are some of the color varieties you talked about, and, and like patterns? What do they look like externally? <laughs> Well, as they get older, they get the, the finish gets orange and they get the bars, the stripes on them, and they get a lot of uh, spangling all over their body as they get older. As a small, they're like grayish brown, but as they get older, they don't get very big. They, uh, they, they get tops three inches. They breed real well at two to two and a half inches. They do real well even at a, in small tank and nano tanks at an inch long, so they do really well. Like I say, they're great little fish. It's uh, very active, and um, they got nice patterns, and they're very frisky. So they're always moving and uh, all over the tank. So do you have any big tanks that you go in and play with them? I have some big <laughs> tanks. <laughs> I have some big was, tanks. Uh, I'm kidding. And so, yes. <laughs> no, the pandagars are pretty cool because they love to, uh, if you, when you go clean the tanks and stuff, they, uh, they tend to uh, go on your hands and start chomping, uh, start cleaning your, uh, your skin. <laughs> oh, that is it. Okay. So, so it's, the same, uh, it's a similar fish as the one that they uh, use for the pedicure fish. So the pedicure fish is the Gara rufa. The one I do is the Gara flavatra. Similar fish. They're just uh, the rufa. I guess is more popular, and uh, it gets uh, much more active on your skin. The Gara flavatra is not as active, but it still, you know, loves to hang on on your hands when you're cleaning the tanks. Well, before we talk about some of the more challenging fish that you have been working on, I think we need to take a short break. So let's take a break, and we'll continue our discussion with Andreas Ryan, owner of Just Keep Swimming, after these messages from our sponsors. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Andres Ryan of Just Keep Swimming. So, Andres, we talked a little bit about the Pandagera. Which species, if you had to name maybe one or two, have been the most difficult for you to crack? And what is your general approach to some of these new species that really haven't been done commercially at all? Well, there's a couple of species I'm working on now that I'm still, I mean, I have some success, but uh, they need work. And those are, uh, I'd say, the the clown loach and the uh, cardinal tetras. Those are two fish that uh, have some success right now. But there's definitely some challenges, and uh, the challenges on a lot of the fish that I work on it has to do with the water quality or the water parameters. And uh, you know, in the case of of clown loaches and cardinals, it's the soft water. And 
most people don't raise softwater fish because softwater doesn't behave the same in a central system on a research system that it does with hard water. It has to do with the, the buffering capacity and the pH change and buffers and all that. So um, filtration gets really tricky when you're dealing with soft water system, especially when you're trying to do mass quantities of fish. So when you're dealing with clown loaches and cardinals, they love that really soft water, acidic. And uh, so it gets real tricky doing filtration system. Those are the challenges that uh, are really interesting for me to work with, trying to find a way to uh, produce these fish in uh, quantity to make a living. So let's talk a little bit more about the clown loaches. Those are definitely an iconic fish. How uh, many eggs can you get from a female and how big are they normally when they spawn for you? Uh, how long does it take them to get up to you know, size to sell? What kind of info like that would you be able to share with us? From what I've seen on the loaches is uh, I get, let's say you get a, a four-inch female would give me probably five to 6,000 eggs. So bigger gives me more eggs, but it doesn't really seem to do really well. The conditioning is much longer. I have better luck with smaller fish, like the three-inch to four-inch up to five-inch females. I'd say my best breeders are four inches. So I get like five to 6,000 eggs at a clip. I can condition them about like three times a year. And that's another challenge for the loach is uh, conditioning is very difficult. It's a fish that requires a lot of stability in the environment, their lighting, their food, and uh, water parameters. And when the stability is achieved, the conditioning works really well. So the female can condition really well. When the temperature and and, uh, food changes or the temperature change or the lighting changes, the uh, conditioning takes longer or may never happen. So it's a touchy fish. How long does it take you to get them up to a sellable size? Sellable size, if, uh, again, the water is good and all that, is three months. Sellable size would be an inch and a half. You know, so three to four months, is a, I get a, a solid inch and a half. Okay. Now, I know you have been working with the Galaxy Resbora, which is really a beautiful fish. Can you describe that, kind of explain to the listeners what that fish looks like? Some of them are probably not familiar with it. Well, a lot of people are not familiar with the fish first. It's a very small fish, and a lot of time it's a cryptic fish, so it, does, it hides a lot, and so it doesn't like a lot of light. It looks, I would say, it's a fully grown about an inch, you know, maybe an inch and a quarter if you stretch it, but an inch, and it's a spangling. It looks like a little trout, I would say, a, a speckled trout, and it's got, uh, the males have a double set of red fins on the dorsal uh, and then on the tail and on the ventral fins are all like a blood orange fin with the black edging. It's a very popular fish in the nanotank industry. So anything from under five gallon because it's a small fish and very active. It does well in groups of like four to six or eight. And uh, it's in a Daniel family. So it's a very nervous fish. But it's a, like I say, it's a very, very attractive and very bright colored fish. And how did you get associated with that or what made you decide to start working on it? Well, over the years, I saw a drop in, uh, like I was saying earlier, that uh, the larger fish are not as popular because of shipping costs and all that. So it was difficult to sell bigger fish. And I also realized that big tanks in the pet industry weren't selling as well either. I always liked the smaller tanks. And um, about five years ago, six years ago, I got into trying to raise smaller fish. Like I was doing different rasboras and I started getting into the galaxies at the time and other micro rasbora types. And um, there was a big demand for them, and still is, and it has to do with a a shift in the industry towards smaller tanks. 
Now, when we go to global on these trade shows, we see huge displays of smaller tanks, you know, so that uh, that was a good transfer of, uh, how do you say, a a change in uh, direction for my business because my business was not made to bake uh, big fish. I I needed to make small fish. I did really well with the Tanganyikan and cichlids, but I needed to do smaller fish, more popular. And Galaxy Rasboro was one of them and it kind of like just uh, happened to be a good one. How difficult is it to uh, spawn? Are there a lot of challenges? Is it um, similar to kind of the clown loaches? Yes. In a way, yes. They, uh, they like stability. They like cooler water. So that's a 75-degree conditioning water fish. Uh, likes medium to hard water, but not, you know, it likes a, a neutral pH, 7 pH, but not hard water. It doesn't produce a lot of eggs. The, the youngs are a good size. They can eat brine shrimp right away. They grow slow. But it is a small fish, so they sell at a half an inch. You can sell them. So they do real well. They produce, a female tends to produce about, I'd say, five to ten eggs every week. So it adds up after a while. You know, if you have a big colony, then you, every week you get like five to ten eggs per female. The eggs are really big for that size fish. And like say, brine shrimp, and then within a couple of months, you have a seller. So it's a, it's a good turnaround little fish, and it doesn't take a lot of space. So you can breed them in 10-gallon tanks really easily. So now, you mentioned with uh, those first couple of species that they require kind of more acidic or soft water. And that's, that's really for spawning, I, I assume. Can they handle regular water for just general keeping, fish keeping, or are they a little more picky? Well, as an example, if we look at the cardinal tetra, the thing that I've noticed is if, if I grow cardinal tetras on well water, females tend not to breed really well. I don't know really what the reason is. Some people are saying it has to do with the calcification of the uh, ovary duct or something like that. I'm not too, I don't understand, but I do know that if I grow cardinals in soft water fish, uh, the females do really, really well. And um, I get a breeder in five months out of the cardinals. So I have to do soft water for them to get a nice, healthy breeder. Clown loaches is another interesting one. When I grow them in soft water, they grow faster. I don't understand why. If I grow them in well water, they grow okay, but they grow faster in soft water. So it's another, as a puzzle, I don't really understand. And so trying to figure that out. <laughs> I guess with just somebody uh, like a hobbyist, they should, the fish I assume would do okay in kind of regular water? Yeah, all these fish will do well in regular city water or tap water because most of the ones that I produce end up growing up in well water and hard water. And the reason I do that is because I know that the majority of the water in fish tanks uh, around the country are, are hard water. So the fish have to be adapted to it. It's better for sales and stuff like that. Okay. Now, now let's talk a little bit about your fancy plecos. You do a couple of the smaller fancy plecos. What can you share about those? Well, uh, some of the picoltias that I do, uh, from king tigers, uh, you know, the zebra plecos and things like that, they, uh, they're very interesting because they have a cool behaviors, so they're nice in fish tanks. I tend to like the fish because it is a small fish, and it's one of those fish that if you put in a big tank, it tends to disappear. So, again, it's for the nano tanks. A little different, they, like, they can breed in pretty much any water, the big trigger on them is the heat. Most of those picoltia like really hot water. So you're looking at about 85 to 90. It doesn't mean that you have to keep them at that. You can keep them at, you know, 75 degrees. You just don't expect them to breed. But they do really well in uh, hard water and all that, even for breeding. The difference is, is if you want to hatch up the eggs, you're better off to them in soft water. The eggs uh, hatch better in soft water. You started doing um, freshwater ornamental shrimps. How did that happen? 
Uh, that was an accident. It was basically, I was a curious on those shrimp. And so I kind of got some samples here and there and set them up in some tanks. And um, they kind of like started taking over. They're like little roaches. They uh, breed all over the place. And since I was doing a lot of small fish that weren't eating them, they kind of like became part of the system. So that it's like a polyculture. So I, I raised uh, a lot of different plecos and I've got, you know, like I say, shrimp in all those systems. And uh, didn't really realize the market was that big for them until I started putting them on the list and start making them available. And then as the years go by, I started getting different colors going. And so there was a, a popular little item and it's a affordable, you know, it's only a, a very affordable, cheap animal. It's a popular again for the small tanks, you know, so they do real well in the plants, plant tank, little nano tanks or desktop tanks. So it just came by an accident. Now this year I'm, I'm building system just for the red shrimp or the orange shrimp or the blue shrimp. So that's what's going on now. <laughs> How long do they live? I get them living for a couple of years, but they breed really well for the first year. And they breed, uh, they start breeding at about four to five months quite well. I sell them at about three to four months also, so young breeders. They're very hardy. They can pack a lot of numbers in a small quantity of water. They tolerate a wide range of water parameters. They do not like soft water. They like seven, but it to be neutral, but nothing below that. It has to do with the, uh, the calcification of their shell, the keratin. So if there's not enough calcium, they, <laughs> they, they just uh, don't grow. I meant to ask you too about um, what about uh, feeding for the, both the plecos and the shrimp? What do you recommend for, uh, for hobbyists to feed? I mostly like uh, singing pellets on the plecos and uh, I like also a, a kind of a protein diet, also a bit of uh, frozen shrimp and worms and things like that. Uh, they are mostly carnivores, even though they do need a bit of greens, but they do like the, uh, the, the protein, so the meat. I keep the shrimp with them because then it, uh, the shrimp end up cleaning the rest of whatever they don't eat. So it's like a nice combination. Okay, so um, now I have to ask you, what do you like most about your job? <laughs> the, uh, in the past, it was mostly the excitement of doing new fish. Now I'm not so much into the new fish. I'm more into like basically trying to make a living to raise a family because I've got some kids. And uh, so I like to do a little bit more stability. So in flexibility to be available for the family. I think those are the criteria, be able to make a living and have a bit of flexibility to be available for the family. That's uh, the priorities now. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely important and makes sense, sure. So uh, what changes have you seen over the years? You've been involved for, you know, what, 20 years or so in, in, um, in farming and obviously been keeping fish for much longer. What sort of changes have you seen over the years, both in the hobby and in fish farming? If I go with the hobby, some of the changes I've seen over the years is that uh, I think people are more interested in uh, the green, I'd say revolution or whatever. So they're more interested in getting stuff that's uh, locally raised or captive bred. So there's a big uh, change into that. The second one was the smaller tanks with the new filters and the new uh, animals available that it's small corals or the plants or smaller fish. Uh, people have an interest in small tanks now. It's something that's people are more interested in doing it because there's less work involved. It's not as bulky. It's smaller. It's cuter. It's neater. It's more details because you get smaller animals, smaller plants. So that's where I saw the transition in the last uh, decade or so from the bigger tank to the smaller tank. I mean, everybody wants big fish, but after a while, the big fish take a lot of space and take a lot of room and it's a lot of work to take care of them. So when you have the small desktop tank, they're easier to clean, easier to maintain, and they still look good. And with all the new designs and the new colors and the new setup they have, the tanks make it uh, very attractive. 
So that's this side on the hobby. On the, on the farmer side, I see, well, it's changing all the time. It's a dynamic industry. A lot of things happen, you know, depending on what's interesting at the time. Right now, people are getting into more of the smaller fish, but there's still a lot of big demand for the regular common bread and butter, swordtail, angels, you know, regular catfish. The industry's changing again. It's uh, Farming is not as prevalent as it used to be. Fish have to be raised indoors more, you know, more stability. It's still a lot of competition from the Far East, uh, Indonesia. So we have to, on this side and in the U.S., we have to start thinking, raising fish uh, more efficiently, you know, in research systems, cutting our costs and labor, better food. Those are the things that I start seeing is uh, we're improving in the food, improving in filtration, improving in medication and production, you know, systems are better. This is what I see here. Well, definitely appreciate that. Unfortunately, we are out of time, and I really want to thank you, Andres, and also our producer, Mark Winner, for making this show possible. Andres, do you have any final words of wisdom or information that you'd want to share with our listeners? Well, I think that the big thing to know is knowledge, is to always willing to learn, always willing to uh, better yourself, especially when you want to know about fish, getting into the hobby. It's always good to get around and, and find the clubs or find people around you that uh, know because knowledge is something that's going to keep your interest going. I think that uh, the industry needs to keep working on trying to promote the clubs or you know magazines or whatever people can get info on uh, th their interests so they can uh, keep moving forward. That's That would be my, my heads up. <laughs> well, thanks again, Andres, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Please be sure to check out Andres' webpage. The link will be on our Aquarium Mania site on his guest page. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y at petliferadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, one of my favorite aquariums. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy, and be sure to check out the incredible fish available from Andres Ryan and Just Keep Swimming. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>